0: All right, well, good morning. Thank you guys for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Normally, you have either Pastor Brett or Adam up here preaching, and I'm leading worship, so I'm in a different seat today, and it's really fun. I'm excited. So, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brandon. I'm the Pastor of Worship and Student Ministries here at FBN. And, like I said, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your weekend uh, to come and to be here and to gather together and to come and hear. Uh, What the Lord has for us today. Um, Also, I just want to take this time. If you're a guest or if you're new, um, we're so grateful uh, for you to coming here this morning. We know that it can be um, awkward and a little scary at times to come and try something out that's new, that's different, especially if you feel alone. Uh, We'd love to be able to connect with you. So there's that little uh, go deeper section you see, like QR code in front of you. If you want to scan that and fill out some information, we'd love to be able to to just see how we can partner with you in prayer and that kind of stuff. But again, just thank you for joining us. Um, Like I said, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, I've been prayerful for what the Lord would have for us today. Uh, So we're actually wrapping up the series that we've been in called No Plan B. It's about the Great Commission. Um, And we've covered some major themes and have had some heavy implications over the last several weeks for our lives. Um, Things talking about uh, his authority and the call to go and to make disciples and really what a disciple is. Uh, We talked about baptism Uh, We looked at teaching and obedience, and then today we're going to wrap it all up by looking at the promise that Christ makes for us and to his disciples. But before we do, as we have been doing the past several weeks, we're going to read our passage aloud together today. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll look at our passage together. Let's read together. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. You you guys can have a seat. Uh, so before we dive into this, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer together. We'll ask him to bless our time together. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for um, your faithfulness, God, for the truth that we sing of. Um, God, for the truth that we know about you from your word, um, for the truth of your character, God. And I pray, Lord, that that would be evident now as we dive into this promise that you made. Um, would you help us to receive from you this morning? Would you uh, just help us to to have open hearts and open minds ready to receive. Would you get rid of the distractions, the hindrances that we've brought into this place, Lord, but help us to zero in on what you have for us. And I pray pray you'd bless our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was preparing for this, uh, I remembered a conversation that I had a long time ago with my stepmother. Um, So I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school, and uh, my little brother would come to me, and he would ask me if I would want to do something with him. Um, and he's about 11, 12 years younger than me, so the age gap was pretty, pretty significant. He's probably four or five years old at the time. And he would always ask me to do different things, and I would just tell him, you know, maybe tomorrow, or maybe later, or I promise, but not right now. So the idea always insinuated that I would get to the thing that he wanted me to do, but just not yet. So most of the time I would forget, right, or I would get busy and I really wouldn't come through on what I said. And honestly, it was because in those moments I wasn't really thinking about doing those things with him. I was trying to pacify him so I could do what I wanted to do. So finally, my stepmom talked with me and she said, you can't tell him that you're going to do something with him later and then never do it. Because when you leave and you think you've pacified him, he's still holding on to these things. And so in his mind, you will do it later. And then when you don't do it later, well, you've let them down. And so that really stuck with me, right? Those promises that I'm making and then letting someone down. And I never really forgot that conversation. Um, and now it really plays into the conversations that I have with my family and my children and my wife. And I'm not perfect by any means. I'm, I mean, I still make promises that I intend to keep but don't. And I still let people down all the time. But it doesn't mean that I, I've ever forgotten that because it was a significant conversation that we had. Because this is the reason. What will inevitably start to happen is if my word is no good, my, my word would no longer be good because I would have proven time and time again by my lack of follow-through that I'm not trustworthy, right? So if my word becomes untrustworthy, then ultimately it proves that I am untrustworthy and I don't want to be that, which brings me to this passage in the promise that we hear from Jesus. He says, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He makes this promise to be with them, to be with his disciples. And so first, even though it's pretty simple, I wanted to start out by defining what a promise is. What is a promise? And I think we all have a base level understanding of wh- what a promise is and what is insinuated when we make a promise. But just to get it out there, it's a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen, will come to be. So when someone makes a promise, they are assuring, pretty much guaranteeing that they will definitely do, give, arrange, say whatever the thing is that they're committing to, that it will come to be. But what a promise is not, it is not wishful thinking, it is not hopeful thinking, it is not good intentions only. It's also not a pacifier in that you'll say whatever you want to in order to uh, pacify the person that's trying to get something from you. So to give someone your word, to make a promise and not come through, it has the potential to hurt deeply because there's usually someone or something valuable or something significant tied to the other end of that promise that you're making. There's a reason why you're saying, I promise, because there's significance to it, right? Right? which is why we must set the framework I think for what a good or what what the definition of a promise is and then we need to understand that a promise is only as good as the character of the person making it. Catch that, right? A promise is only as good as the character of the person making it. So when Jesus makes this statement to his disciples when he makes this promise, he's not just making a promise that he hopefully intends to keep. And he's not just trying to say whatever he can to manipulate the disciples into doing what he wants them to do. But, he's, but uh, he is making one that he absolutely will keep. One that he definitively will accomplish. But how can the disciples trust that he actually will be with them? How can they know that he will make good on his word here? So I think one of the best ways to look at the trustworthiness of someone is to actually look at their history to take a look back. Has Jesus ever given them a reason not to trust him? Has he ever given them one reason not to think that he would make good on his word? So think about the time that they spent with Jesus. They saw him heal the sick, and they saw him bring the dead to life, and they saw him walk on water, and they saw him calm storms, and he fed 5,000 and more people with among almost nothing, and he brought in full nets of fish when they were Empty handed, right? He taught them and then he equipped him. And then he told them of his death and how it would come to be. And it happened as he said it would. And even though they at times didn't accept it, it wasn't because of his character that they questioned anything. It wasn't because he had given them a reason to doubt, it was their blindness. They had never, or he had never given them a reason to think otherwise. And so I want us to remember what's been said to his disciples up to this point. They were told by their Messiah and their king to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. That's no light task. It's a very tall order, right? And the implications are huge on their lives. Like what's going to come of this command in their life is major. It carries significant weight. And so it's no nothing to shrug off. And so that's why we've been taking our time going through these sections and unpacking every section of this command. So if you look at Acts 1.8, uh, it'll be on the screen. If you look at this commissioning, there you'll see a very similar statement with a little different detail that Jesus gives. He says, you will receive power, which is another promise by the way, When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Meaning that you're going, you're going to all these places, all these nations, and some of these nations will be easier for you to go to, more comfortable for you to go to, and others not so much. And you know he's talking to him. he's like, like that Samaria place that you detest so much. Yeah, you're going to go there. You're going to go there, you're not going to want to, it's not going to be comfortable, but... I will be with you. You will have help. right? I, you'll have me through the Holy Spirit, and I will help you. So his promise to be with his disciples always, even to the end of the age, Jesus did not mean he would physically be with them. His promise to be with them always is through his Spirit. And so in, that act, or in Acts 1, we see before Jesus ascends into heaven, he promised his disciples that he would send the advocate or the helper, the Holy Spirit, to come to them, right? And so since Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came to them, the Holy Spirit has been indwelling all believers from the moment of salvation. And in doing so, he guards and guarantees their salvation. He leads them into righteousness. He reminds them of what is true, and he gives them godly wisdom. Through the Holy Spirit, they will have assurance that God is in control and that he will be with them always, even to the end of the age. And so he gives, this, he gives them this assurance because he's leaving. And he told them, he's leaving. And he said it, so it's going to happen. He's leaving. And remember what happened when he died? Man, they left. They abandoned him in the mission. They returned back to their old stuff. But now here they are. They've seen him risen. Then again, they've been given every reason to trust him. And now he makes this promise to embolden them, I think to embolden them, to, to equip them, to give them courage. And he's saying, look, I will give you the words to speak. I will give you the boldness and the courage to stand for me. I will supply you with joy in the midst of hardships. And you know what's amazing about this promise is that it applies to us, that it's for us too. Not only are they for us, but we also get to see how the disciples took this promise and command and they adhered to it. They listened, and we get to see what happens because of it right we see how he brought them through to the end of their lives and we have written and recorded for us the work of their faithfulness right and we are the beneficiaries of that work and so the same promise that Jesus gives his disciples he also gives to you because the mission he gave them he also gives to you it's the same And so we should take courage knowing that even if it's difficult, if God has called you and sent you, then we can know that He's gone before you and is with you in the midst of wherever He leads. And we need to know that there is nothing that can impede or infringe upon the promise of Christ. We even have this assurance made clear for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. We're going to read this chunk, so just follow along with me. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believers have always faced hardships persecution, illness, imprisonment, even death. But there is deep comfort, or there should at least be deep comfort from knowing that there is literally nothing that could separate you from him. He is far greater than anything this world could throw at him, and he's far greater than you in your faults, in your shortcomings, if you believe in him. But there are times in the middle of the press when you feel like you're all alone, that you have been abandoned by God, Uh, That he's turned his face away from you. Or maybe it's because of something you've done. Or maybe sin that you've allowed to stay present and consume you. Or maybe you're in a place not of your choosing. But life's just been tough. It's been hard. It's been difficult. Right? You feel instead of peace that passes understanding, there's dread and hopelessness. And you just don't feel like that promise was for you. But you have got to hear this. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you have not been abandoned, nor will you be. Right? He cannot abandon you because he promised to be with you. And he says in John 14, verses 18 through 19, to his disciples, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. So what can we learn when it comes to this promise of Christ? I think the first thing, it's pretty obvious. But it's just that he's present. He's present. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And uh, other translations say, an ever-present help in times of need. And it's not just that he's present sometimes, but that he's present Always. And I know it sounds cliche, um, and we hear this a lot, just being believers and being in the church, but you are not alone in Christ ever. And we tend to forget this, or because it's such a commonly said thing, maybe it loses its significance to us, but this is major. It's a major deal that the God of the universe, the God of your salvation, the very God who created you, not only is with you, but he dwells within you. It's major. It's huge. It's nothing light, right? And sometimes we live as though his presence in our lives is circumstantial. Or as though he removes himself from us when we are rebellious and then returns to us when we're good, right? But that's not what's happening with Christ. And what I think happens, if I could speak to it a little bit, what is happening is that we've lost sight of him in those moments, It's that classic out of sight, out of mind, but we put another spin on it to where it's out of sight, out of mind, and we're out of him in his presence, like he's gone. But that's not what happens. Sometimes we actually willingly do this. We knowingly act as if he's not there because we don't want to deal with him and the consequences of our actions, so we shut him out, or at least we think we shut him out, as if we could actually remove him from our lives if we've believed in him. But that's why we champion being in the Word around here so much, because when you are saturated in His Word and you're actively engaging with Him, then you become more sensitive to His presence in your life. And then when you live as though he's not there or if he's merely an afterthought, then you fall into that camp of where you feel like everything is circumstantial. Typically, your faith is greatly dependent upon how your life is going. Yes, he's ever-present and he's there to help, but he's not there to give you all that you want, right? No, he's with us to lead us where he wants us to go and to grow us into who he wants us to be, who who we were created to be in him. So regardless of how you feel, Regardless of how you feel, he's present. If you don't feel it or not, if you've believed in him, if you've surrendered your life to him, he is present. He's also trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He's a man of his word. He does what he says he will, and we can know this because history proves it. To us through his word. From the beginning, even in the garden, he promised that one would come and reconcile mankind back to himself, and he proved that when he came and he died on the cross for us, making a way, bringing reconciliation. Right? And then when his people were enslaved in Egypt, he promised to take them to the promised land, and he did it. Right? And then he told his disciples what would happen to him, and it happened. And there are so many more examples of God and his faithfulness and him coming through on his word. Too many to recount all of them. And so earlier, I said that uh, the history of someone um, is a good way to examine their trustworthiness. And I also think that another one of the key factors to look at in determining the trustworthiness of someone is their truthfulness. So if someone is a known liar, then odds are they're not trustworthy. If they're a known liar, right? So we know from his word in John 14, 6, he says this, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So we know that Jesus is truth. There is no deceit in him, no falsities in him, because he is truth. And then John 17, 17 tells us that God's word is truth. So you put these together and you see that Jesus' words, his promises, um, his statements, everything um, that he's ever said, everything is worthy of our trust. So if he says it, it is so because he said it and he is truth. When he makes a promise, he doesn't just mean I'll try or I'll do my best. See, God is not like us. He doesn't have any kind of stipulations or, or anything attached to promises. He doesn't have anything on the back end. He is holy. So his promises are not like ours because he's not like us. His word is holy, therefore we can trust it, right? So he is present, he is trustworthy, and he is working constantly, constantly at work. There is never a moment when Jesus isn't at work. In John five seventeen, Jesus is responding to the Jews who were upset that Jesus had healed a lame man on the Sabbath, and he says to them, my father is still working And I am also working. I am working also. And then Romans 8 says that Jesus is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And then you have to think about the gift of salvation, that there was nothing that you did to earn that. It was the work of Jesus and the work of him alone, right? And upon your belief in Christ, when you receive the Holy Spirit, he is now actively working in you to shape your character and and to empower your obedience, And then we're told in 1 John 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, that Jesus is our advocate when we sin, positioned between us and God, right? Christ declares our righteous standing because of his sacrifice on the cross for us and our faith in him. And more so, according to John 14, it says that he's preparing a place for you in heaven because he promised that he will come again and take you to himself So that where he is, you will be also always working, constantly moving, constantly working. And then we cling to that promise of his return. We long for it and we know that he will indeed return. Why? Because he said he would. That's why. Because he said it. Right? So he's present. He is trustworthy. He is constantly working and he is faithful. He's faithful, or his faithfulness is unmatched, right? He is faithful to a fault. When Jesus had a choice in the desert to listen to the temptations of Satan, he chose not to, right? He remained faithful to what God had told him to do. And when he was confronted by the Pharisees and the religious leaders and everyone else who stood against him, he never wavered. He remained faithful to the Father's will. And when he had the opportunity, in the garden to reject the cross, he chose to be faithful to the Father. And he did this because he and the Father are one, right? And the Bible also tells us of his faithfulness to forgive. And the beautiful thing about the faithfulness of Jesus is that it remains even when we aren't so faithful. See, promises to us, they don't hold as much weight as they used to. Us as a society, like we just talked about it earlier, when we make promises, we kind of have stipulations to them and little caveats, and then we have to double down on our promises by talking about, like, I promise, and you have to tell your kids you pinky promise because you've already promised and that, that didn't work before, so you got to add different levels of promising. We just aren't as trusting anymore as a society. And so the sad thing about that attitude that we have is that we allow that to creep into our relationship with Christ. And not only when we do that are we lessening the promise of Christ in our lives, but we also, we also allow it to cheapen our words back to him. So how many times do we have to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I promise I won't do that again. And then we turn around and do it. How many times? We constantly do that. And here's something amazing that I find about Jesus in this. And all the attitude and all the failures and all the broken promises that we've given him, he still claims us. He still claims you. Right? So a lot of us are parents in here. Have you ever had your kids in the store and they've just, or anywhere really, and they've embarrassed you beyond like embarrassment? Like you've just been so embarrassed and you're grabbing your face and and you're really just like, I you're not my kid. I don't know who you are. Or if you're with your spouse, you're like, that's your kid, not my kid anymore. I don't claim this kid. And so when I think about Jesus and his attitude towards us, I'm reminded of Hebrews 2, 11, where it tells us that Jesus is not ashamed of us and that he calls us brothers and sisters. And so he sees that embarrassment. He sees the shame. He sees the grief and the brokenness and the really all that we have to offer. And he's like, yeah, that, that's, that's my person. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, he's mine. And he doesn't do it like embarrassed, like, yeah, he's mine. Come on. Like, he's like, no, 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 I'm proud of him. He's mine. Right? He's not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of you. And he still claims you. And I think that's an amazing telling of his character and his faithfulness. So we have all this information, but what do we do with it? Well, I think it's pretty simple, and these aren't very long, drawn-out points. But where the first one is this. I think we need to look back. We need to look back. Right? Where has he brought you from? How has he been faithful to you? And even if you couldn't see it at at that moment, but now looking back, are you able to see his faithfulness and his trustworthiness and how he came through? Even if it wasn't the outcome you were hoping for, even if life isn't perfect, are you able to look back and see him? Can you see him? And when you're doing that, don't neglect the word in this because he's already given you countless examples of Christ and his word and his work in the scriptures. And you have something that the disciples didn't have, like the completed work of scripture. You have the completed work at your fingertips. God uses this book to reveal to us himself, and we find his character shining through each page. And what a great way to look back and to see how Christ has made good on his word time and time again. It's there for you. And so we look back to see his faithfulness in the past and his trustworthiness. And then we look ahead because he's proved it in the past and now he's called us to go. Right? So we have to ask, where is he calling you? Or to whom is he calling you? And what reasons do you have for not going? And what are you allowing to get in the way of where he's leading? And ultimately, do you trust him? Like, do you trust him and his word? When he's called you to go, will you say yes? because you trust him, right? Or maybe you're scared because you really do feel alone or maybe you feel like you can't do it. Well, you know, there was someone in scripture, a lot of people actually, but one that I thought of, Moses, he felt like he couldn't do it. He felt like he wasn't the right one for the job and God chose him to go to Pharaoh and to free the Israelites, right? And so he felt inadequate and honestly, he's right. Like he was inadequate by himself, inadequate. Inadequate. The same as you and I, we are inadequate without the Lord. But Moses asked God, he said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God answered, he said, I will certainly be with you. It's that same promise. That same promise that he gave in the beginning that he gives to us now and and continuing to give to us. That's the same promise that I certainly will be with you. And so his call on us as believers is clear. The promise to go, or the call on us to go is clear. And so the promise to be with us through this mission is also clear. So asking the Lord for wisdom and guidance is important for us to do. Asking him to align our desires with his, and then asking him to help us in our trust with him and his promise to be with us, to actually believe it. And so we look back, we look ahead, and then we look at Christ. Now, this whole time, we've been looking at Christ. It's not as if we haven't been, but I want us to look at him this time to examine and evaluate ourselves. Okay, so we've been called to be like Christ. If that's the case, then our own character should display him. It should display that, including our own truthfulness and the integrity of our word. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Honestly, we shouldn't even have to make promises if we're, if we're just being honest about it. We shouldn't have to say, I promise, right? Does your word have a weight to it when it comes to the promises that you make? Do you mean what you say to the Lord or really anybody for that matter? Will you come through on what you say or do you not? Or have you proven that your word really means nothing? Do you have to say, I promise, in order to be believed or for it to be believable, and if you find yourself struggling to believe and accept him at his word, then more than likely you're having a hard time with faith and belief in Christ in general. He has given us every reason to believe and trust him at his word. He says that he'll be with us, and then it's so. And so lastly, what this really brings us to is, is more of a, of a question of faith, honestly, Because whether you're looking back or you're looking ahead or you're simply just looking at Christ, you have to ask yourself, what do I believe about all of this? Because to doubt his word here means that you probably don't hold it in high regard elsewhere. So what caused you to believe in Christ? Why did you give your life to him in the first place? Why did you believe that you were a sinner who needed saving? Well, it was his word that revealed that to you. It was the truth of his word that revealed that to you, and you believed it, and you accepted it. You trusted it. So if you don't trust it here, then how can you trust it there? How can we pick and choose if God is truth, if Jesus' words are truth, and how can we choose to believe this truth here and not to believe this truth here? If it's all truth, we can't. It shows something that's messed up in us. And you can see how doubting his word, even in this simple promise to be with you, how that can creep into everything else his word says and the authority that we give it. And so we're going to be able to go into a time of communion this morning, and I want us to spend some time reflecting and looking back, looking ahead, and then looking at Christ to evaluate all of this stuff. How has he been faithful? How can you trust his faithfulness in the future? And how are you In your relationship with him, how are you modeling the trustworthiness and integrity of Christ in your life? And then lastly, if you're here and you're just not a believer, like if you're like, this sounds cool, but I just don't know. I don't don't have what you're talking about. Then the offer is for you today the truth that you needed a savior and that he came and that he died on the cross for you to make a way when there was no way made for you outside of him. You could not be good enough, you could not earn it, but he gives it to you freely if you believe because he came and took the price for our sin. And if you believe in him, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that you'll be saved. And it's as simple as that. And so maybe this time of prayer and communion is for you to believe for the first time. And I would encourage you that as we go into this time, that you would surrender your life to him and don't leave here without letting one of us know. So for the rest of us, let's pray and let's um, go into this time of communion together. Father God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the faithfulness of your word, for the faithfulness of your character and the truth that you are. And I pray, Lord, that when we hear these promises in the word, um, that we would cling to them, God, that we would trust you at your word and that we know without a shadow of a doubt that if you said it, it will come to be. Would you help us as we wrestle with this mission to go and to make disciples, to go where you've called us, to the workplace, to schools, to our neighbors, to our friends. God, that you are with us, that you have equipped us, and that you help us. And God, if there's anybody in this room, God, who who is here, but they don't know you, they've not surrendered their life to you, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would save them, that they would tell you right now that they believe in you, that they accept you as their Savior, that they want to follow you, they want to live for you. But they do that this morning. So we give you praise for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.